It's time to embrace your inner O. Join GL Datus on his spiritual, personal development and self-help journey to enjoy a more vibrant and purposeful life with help from some of the world leading authors and experts in the mind, body and spirit field. So sit back, relax and enjoy the O People podcast. Find your inner O with the O People podcast. Hello, my name is Gavin Lee Davis, your host on this journey to find your inner O. O people are incredible people that are on a journey of discovery. O people have tapped into spiritual enlightenment, ancient teachings, motivational, inspirational energies, and have expanded their consciousness to embrace so many wondrous possibilities. The O people are here to guide us, to support us, and help open our minds and embrace the life we have been given. These are people that have learned to make positive changes, and some of these people have suffered tremendous ordeals of pain, loss, grief, and depression, but have reached for the light and become stronger for it. You too can find your inner O with the love, the teachings, and experiences that these O people give you. Anyone can be an O person, and these authors, motivators, and teachers will help you find self-love, inspiration, and empowerment. Welcome to the O People podcast and your journey to find your inner O. For more information on our O people and their work, visit www.o-books.com. And if this series motivates or inspires you, please visit our Patreon page and tip us $1 or £1 to support the series. And I will put you into a prize draw for a chance to win an O book every month. So visit www.patreon.com forward slash O people podcast. That's www.patreon.com O people podcast. Please support us. It will mean so much to keep this series running. So for our first episode, let's discover why I'm on my journey looking for my inner O. On this episode, meet Martin Wells, author of Sitting in the Stillness. What if there's fundamentally nothing to change or fix in ourselves? Sitting in the Stillness is a collection of stories from the therapy room. Each one invites the reader to go beyond these personal accounts to the universal, beyond the agitations of the mind to an infinite stillness of being. Stories include examples from group therapy, mindfulness groups, family and couples therapy, and demonstrate our fundamental interconnectedness. I'm one of those people, Martin, that finds it difficult to relax. So how might sitting in the stillness help us with our stressful, busy lives? Okay, that's a really good question. Someone gave me an analogy a year or so ago, which I I found helpful. It's to do with those snow globes that you get at usually around Christmas time that, you know, you you shake them and then the the flakes settle by themselves. The thing that, that you do with them really is not really a doing, but you just set them down and gravity does the rest in a sense and the body and the mind is is a bit like that so if we sit when we say stillness we don't mean a literal stillness but if we just sit and with a sense of, of being without having to do anything there's a fundamental relaxation that that takes over a bit like a bit like gravity really and and including the the agitations of the mind and the thoughts in the mind all of that settles quite naturally so it's not it's not as though we need to find relaxation or or learn relaxation in in a sense it's already natural to us inherent to us the answer really is to sit and allow 
the body and the mind just just to settle naturally why is it <laughs> such a growing interest in mindfulness that's quite a big question in a way but i my sense is there's a sort of tiredness with searching for happiness in a world of things in the sense that we we look for objects or we look for the next shiny thing to make us happy or we we move from relationship to relationship and we're we're sort of seeking it in a way that actually doesn't sustain us and i think there's a growing dissatisfaction with our culture and and the way people are sort of driven and under pressure to to seek their happiness in the next thing mindfulness in a sense is is a, is a complete antidote to that because it because it in a sense it says stop it says stop and just be be still let go of the of the grasping you know it, it says in in a way fundamentally happiness is 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 already present you don't need to you need to search for it or strive for it in any way in fact the searching and the striving is is part of the problem because that's the opposite of stillness and, uh, and peacefulness i think we're looking for that generally we, we've got major problems the the you know as the as the dalai lama once said we we've got a in a sense we've got an epidemic in the first world and and that's depression you know one in four one in five people in in the western world are, are depressed will have some episode of depression in their lives so we we clearly haven't got it right the biggest killer of young men in this country is suicide still there's something fundamentally wrong so i think not surprisingly people are looking elsewhere to other cultures to other wisdoms and other lineages to 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 find an answer i myself suffer from suicidal depression i was mm. diagnosed as bipolar and i was given the option and of all these drugs and, and tablets and yeah. after a few weeks i was like no and i went the mindfulness route and it was so incredibly beneficial now i went to mm -hmm. a couple of group sessions as well at 44 I was probably the oldest person in that room. So mm. why does there seem to be an increase in mental health problems, especially in young people? Yes, I think, I think that's a really good question. I think there's more and more pressure on, on young people, not only in terms of achievement and, uh, and, and sort of having possessions and, and, and having the right outfit and the right phone, etc., but, but also in terms of image, a massive pressure on young people, I think, to, to present something to the world that's acceptable that's popular that influences you know th these are the sort of modern expressions of that I think in a way there was a lovely program on uh, channel 5 called bad habits and holy orders I've really enjoyed it because they they took five young women probably 19 to 22 or something like that it was a bit of a surprise they offered they offered them a, a month of a very different experience and they didn't tell them what it was but it was a, a month in a nunnery in Suffolk and, and of course they were they were sort of classically the young people of today one of them spent I think she sent eight hours on Instagram every day the others all spent hours and hours on their phones usually posting images of themselves etc and of course uh, the nuns straight away confiscated the phones so the phones went into a, a bin until they left you know, there were there was a curfew of nine o'clock, and they were up at eight o'clock doing chores and things. And in a way, you'd have thought this would have been impossible for them, and it was very challenging for the first week or two. And then they they started to relax in, into 
just being there and uh, enjoying relationships with other people, giving, giving gifts, even though they were very small gifts to the nuns, and the pleasure that came from that. And about halfway through, the Mother Superior said something like, we're, we're hoping to teach them uh, of the beauty that they already are. And I thought that was such a lovely phrase, really, because in a way, they were desperately trying to be beautiful or attractive or likable and, and all the time ignoring the fact that that's, there's no need to try. It's, it's already inherent in, 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 who, in who they are. That's a wonderful example, you know. Yeah, I, I love the programme. I never got to see it. I'll have to check that mm. out because my concern is I'm not a father myself, but yeah, young girls are trying to grow up too quickly and they're trying to replicate each other. They look like photocopies of each other. Yes. My my daughter's friend's 18th. I couldn't tell anyone apart. They all had the exact same fashion, <laughs> eyebrows and the same tan and the same hair. And I think yeah. maybe we're losing our individuality. That too, yes. Agreed. What would you say is the best thing for my depression and anxiety is it psychotherapy medication or mindfulness well i'm a little biased obviously but i mean i've been a psychotherapist for a long time and 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 taught mindfulness for a long time i mean even medication has it has its place but medication is never going to treat the cause it's only going to treat the symptoms but sometimes people's symptoms are so extreme that they that they do need some help with that in order to in order to in a sense stabilize and or even energize so that they can move on. I think, you know, in a way, it's a sort of mixture of, of mindfulness and, uh, and psychotherapy. By that, I mean, the, the, the key thing that someone's, someone said it to me recently in a group, I said, what, do, what have you learned from your mindfulness uh, practice? And she said, that I'm not my thoughts. And I said, yeah, absolutely. That's what we're talking about. Uh, someone who's depressed often has a number of very sort of self-debilitating, judging, self-criticizing thoughts, which of course are in a sense themselves depressing and undermining. So to realize that I'm not my thoughts is a, is a, a step away from identifying with those thoughts. And then of course, it raises the question of if I'm not my thoughts, then then who am I? And that's that's when we might go back to the, the mother superior saying, well, then we can recognize our in, inherent beauty, our inherent qualities, when we let go of uh, all the patterns of thinking that, that, that undermine us, that debilitate us. But there's also another thing about de depression is, 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 is I think, again, with mindfulness, we, we might not treat it as a problem but so much as a communication or as a or, or as a form of exhaustion from from trying to, to solve things a certain way the actor jim carrey for example calls his depression deep rest deep depressed yeah and and i think what he's talking about is it, it stopped him from from manically trying to find the next thing that would make him happy the next film, the next car, the next mansion, the next relationship, that, you know, the next whatever that, that in somehow w would make him happy. I've been a victim of this, and I imagine a lot of people out there are the victim of this, mm. is where we make these self-educated judgments. We attach these labels. I am bad. Yes. I'm depressed. Yes. I'm angry. Yeah. And in fact, we're not angry. We're not sad. We are feeling a particular yes. way and once you recognize that massive difference between i am sad to i am feeling sad yeah. 
then exactly. you, can start, you can start to treat it. And that was one of the most valuable gifts ever because sitting yeah. in the stillness for me is like having my therapy. It's by the side of my bed. It's on the train. And I can go into your book and pull out this information because you go to therapy and you've given all this amazing information. And at the beginning, you're a little bit reluctant. You're a little mm. bit resistant to it because you have a habitual thought process. You're either in a high thought process or low. And it's very difficult to find that positive, neutral thought process. And that's the benefit of sitting in the stillness. We're all chasing this, this ideal, mm. this quality. So how would you define happiness? It's a word that's, you know, for all, for all of us, has got different associations. And in a way, it's a problem with our, our language. So mostly when we say happiness, we're talking about, we have images of, of people enjoying themselves or, or they're down the pub or they're at a party or they're laughing or something I think in the true essence of mindfulness I think a better word is is joy than happiness because it's got less associations I think and I think then we might be talking about a, a fundamental joy that's present whatever is going on in life even even in the midst of, of a grieving process for example uh, underlying that is the joy of being alive the joy of remembering someone we've loved for example I mean, what did Shakespeare say? Parting is, is such sweet sorrow. It's the underlying joy that I think, I think we're talking about in mindfulness. Then that's also, we could call that happiness as well, as long as we're careful about the associations. But fundamental happiness and joy in, in life, in, in whatever it brings. Because mindfulness has helped me find peace. Yes. It's not super manic joy. Yes, exactly. And it's not crushing, falling into the abyss, suicidal depression where I can't look in the mirror, I feel worthlessness, I don't want to get out of bed. Or the manic motivation, yes. where that Jim Carrey syndrome where you're goofing yeah. around and you're trying to entertain everyone and yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you feel like you're connected to God about everything you do is genius. When you find that peace, it's such a wonderful feeling. It's not a case today was a good day or today yeah. was a bad day. It was I found peace today. I was content. Yes in my purpose, in my striving, in my understanding of the world. And that's what yeah. I find with sitting in the stillness. It really helps to bring that out. So how yeah. do we find freedom from our story? Should we get a new story? No, it's not, it's not necessary to get a new story. And, and in a sense, of course, if we get a new story, it's still a story. So true freedom is when there, in a sense, is no story. No story driving the next moment. So that then the next moment is truly open to what? happens to what we experience it doesn't it doesn't come with a script it doesn't come with a, a pattern it doesn't come with a pressure to say something or not say something freedom isn't freedom from anything true freedom is simply it doesn't have any script it doesn't have any history it doesn't have any future in a sense it's simply what's needed in this moment what's present in this moment and the re back to your earlier question about psychotherapy and mindfulness it can be useful to know our stories and know the origins of those stories and uh, maybe our parents stories and their parents stories and how they've influenced us not so that we use that to define us but but we use that to know how we might be constricted by our stories, how we might be influenced by our stories. I've just seen someone this, this evening who, who's, she said both her parents were anxious people in their own way. And 
she can feel that in her own body and mind when she sits in a group and wonders whether she should say something. It's almost like if she can be mindful of that pattern, of that story that influences her, then as she observes it, she's, she's free of it. In a sense. We will be right back after these important messages. You are listening to the O People podcast. O books aim to enlighten and inspire our readers. So change your life today and visit www.o-books.com for more spirituality, personal development, MBS and self-help titles. It's never too late to make positive changes to your life. So visit www.o-books.com today and explore a world of personal growth and positive teachings. What if the after effects of a near-death experience were undeniable? What if a person could suddenly produce high-quality paintings of the afterlife, or if they acquired the ability to compose classical symphonies? Read Shine On, the remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. Read Shine On today on e-readers and wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com today. Does Genesis teach that the human race was created by God or engineered by ETs? Read Escaping from Eden today from wherever books are sold. Become the alchemist of your world. In The Secret of the Alchemist, Colm Holland reveals how you can discover the power to miraculously change the world around you beyond all recognition and for the better. Colm will tell you the story of his encounter with Paolo Coelho and his best-selling book, The Alchemist, and how discovering the secret gave him the insights to achieve true empowerment in his life and how you can too. Read The Secret of the Alchemist today. Available from wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com to learn how you too can become the alchemist of your life. She can break the cycle. It's almost genetic. You know, it's from behavior. She's brought up witnessing behavior of anxiety yeah. depression and thinks that's an acceptable way to be and then yeah. develops that which she could then pass on to her children so someone yeah. has to break the chain yes exactly i suppose where, where psychotherapies help me understand this is if if someone is rejected at a young age then what what the infant does with that is they don't say i was rejected it's a bit like what you're saying i'm feeling sad they say i am a reject now, yeah. they don't necessarily put it into words like that, but they feel like they're the reason that the person left them. So I am a reject, and there's the origin of a, of a story. So freedom from that is, is to really challenge the truth of that. What are the facts and what are the story? So the fact is you were rejected. The, the story is that you started to think of yourself as a reject. It can be very difficult to undo that mode of thinking. When you have a lifetime yes. of habit or yes. certain thought processes, it can be incredibly yes. difficult. And yes. Yes. mindfulness, just taking that moment to stop this whirlwind of thought processes. People assume it's just negative thought processes. It could be just a busy thought process, hopping from one mm -hmm. thing to the other, not holding on to any particular concept or idea in your mind. And just to slow it down 
and just be mm. as as mindful of your breathing yes. or yeah. my favorite thing to do is because in the morning is when I have to convince myself I'm going to get out of bed and this is, you know, I'm going to have a productive day. I have worth in my life. Yes. And the first yes. thing I do is I make my first cup of coffee uh -huh. and, I, and I smell it. And we've all heard wake up and smell the coffee. I just smell that coffee and it just, yeah. it just slows down that thought process. Yeah. Nice. And I'm in. I'm in for the day. I'm good. I'm good to go. I get the odd blip. I haven't punched a computer monitor in at least two weeks now. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 do, I do very well. What is the best way to manage crisis and breakdown? The first thing is, is to welcome it. That's obviously a, a real challenge for all of us. You know, it's easy to say that. But there's a lovely, there's a lovely roomy poem called The Guest House where, where he says, welcome every guest, even, even the guest that comes in and takes all your furniture and leaves you with nothing because ev everything is, is, is there to open you up to the, to the next experience. And of course, immediately if, if we start to welcome a crisis or a breakdown, then we're then we're not fighting with it, and and if we're not fighting with it, then then the conflict immediately starts to dissolve. And the other thing I think that's that's helpful and, and has helped me is to read and listen to people who have been through major breakdowns and allowed themselves to be transformed by them. So there's people like Eckhart Tolle and and Jeff Foster who, like you you were saying had serious episodes of depression, suicidal depression, and came through it to a place of complete freedom from, from their original stories. So the, the breakdown uh, allowed something of their true selves to break through, and, and, and the crisis became a, an amazing opportunity to, to, to let go of a whole style of being or a trajectory of a career and, and find what's, what's true about themselves rather than where they, where they thought they were needing to go. And in, in a way, in the book, there are, there are a number of those, those experiences described by, by the people that, that, that I was working could you explain what is non-duality? Well, it's a weird thing, isn't it, to call something non? You know, normally we, we don't call something a non. But the, the reason that it's called non-duality is that the process of knowing who we are can only really be done by knowing what we're not. So it, it's, it's like a form of stripping away. So the, the nice analogy that, that I heard about this was the sculptor who was asked, how did he sculpt a horse? And he said, well, I, I just took away the bits that weren't horse. And this is very much that, that process. So I, I get to know I'm not my thoughts. I get to know I'm not my feelings. I get to know that I, I, I'm not my story. And of course, as all, all these things fall away, not this, not that. In, in Christianity, that's called negation. And in Hindu, it's called neti neti. So not this, not that. So they're, they're sort of ancient understandings of, of, of that process, really. So, that, so not thought, not feeling, not story, not body, not mind. Then, then what? What's left, in a sense? It's called non-duality because, of course, that also is to do with not two. Not two, not separate. So uh, the mind is a great, a great separator. So... I, I sit here and there's a computer in front of me and there's a desk and, and there's a carpet and the floor. And th to my mind, they all look like separate objects, separate things, randomly put together. 
but but in, in reality that's not like that everything is everything is one and, and interconnected but the mind can't see that but it it can only know that it's not two that it that it's not separate and it's those sort of teachings that help us when we when we sit and practice just allow the, the the sense of being separate to dissolve. So sometimes in a practice there can be can be a, a sense of, of oneness, of letting go of, of of the world of objects. I wish there was more information like this twenty years ago. Mm, you know what It seems to be mindfulness seems to be like this new cool thing has come up. People in the profession, people in the know like you've probably known about this for a long time. Obviously, people yeah. in Eastern cultures have been practicing this, but in yeah. the West. It was just very easy to just treat it like a cold or an illness by just yeah. masking the symptoms, by giving you tablets to mask the symptoms. Yeah. And after six weeks of drugs that affected my weight, my sleeping, mm. my libido, my mood, I was mm. flying off the handle one minute and punching a keyboard to bits. Next minute, I'd be on a heap on the floor crying. You know, I've got the most understanding and beautiful girlfriend in the world and... Mm. You know, I, I wouldn't want her to touch me because I felt worthless. I remember going to, to get some professional support and they were they've gone all through these different drugs. I couldn't tell you what they were. I can't even pronounce half of them. And they're like, <laughs> try this, try that. And I said to the woman, lovely lady, I said to her, look, if I had a broken leg and you just kept giving me tablets so I didn't know I didn't have a broken leg, I'm still walking around on a broken leg. And she yeah. said, that's a really good point. And I said, I will eat white dog poo if this will help me. I'm done with the tablets, <laughs> right? I said, I will change my diet. And I just said, anything. And she said, we have mindfulness sessions. And uh -huh. I, said, I said, sign me up <laughs> to be 44 years old mm. and have the most wonderful opportunities I, I've been given in my life. People have no idea how blessed I've been with opportunities. Dyslexic, working class. I've done mm. TV. I've written a best-selling book. I got the best job in the world. I get to speak to amazing people like you every mm. single day. And that's a genuine passion. But mm. not to always be able to appreciate it because you're a prisoner in your own mind. Yes. Isn't that yeah. sad? People talk about books. This is something deeply personal to me. This is something deeply important to me. Your mm. book makes a difference. Your book can help people's lives. If you're mm. out there listening to this now, it doesn't matter what corner of the globe you sit on. If you can understand what me and Martin are saying, depression and mental health affects us all. It might not be you. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. It could be your mum or your grand or your neighbour. This is stuff we can help support people with. And books like Sitting in the Stillness, this can help people free themselves from what I said. You do not have to be a prisoner of your own mind anymore. Mm, the yeah. help is out there. If you want the help, go and get it. So that's my endorsement. And that's a genuine, heartfelt endorsement. That mm. I'm so passionate about what you've done. So mm. where can our mm. listeners read your life-changing, incredible book that is Sitting in the Stillness? Yeah, thank you. Well, there's... Obviously, uh, places like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, I saw the other day it's on the Waterstones site. Just about anywhere that sells books. Just to reiterate, that is on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes and Noble, Waterstones, wherever books are sold. If you want more information, you can go to johnhuntpublishing.com forward slash mantra hyphen books. That's johnhuntpublishing.com 
forward slash mantra hyphen books and you can find more information about that if somebody wants to get in contact with you find out a bit more information share an experience contact you direct how can they do that martin probably the best way is uh, via my website non-dualmindfulness.com so that's non-dualmindfulness.com. So it's N-O-N-D-U-A-L mindfulness.com. So if you want to find more information, want to find more about sitting in the stillness, want to know where Martin is, you know, find out some more about his work, then go to non-dualmindfulness.com. You've given us such incredible knowledge, insight, life-changing information here. But can you leave our listeners with a final thought? The thing that comes to mind, funnily enough, it's, uh, and I don't know if you're old enough to remember it, but the, the film Wizard of Oz ends with the wizard saying to the Dorothy and the Tin Man and the, and the Lion, etc., that all that you're seeking is already yours because you couldn't have got where you are without those resources. So what you're seeking is, is, is already in your possession. Don't think of it as something you need to go out and find or develop or acquire in any way. It's already there. In whatever you do, remember that so that you can know that there's there isn't a problem in a sense there's there's nothing wrong of course things are can be wrong on a functional level we can have some very significant functional problems but inherently there's nothing wrong and and that's an important thing i think to remember for all of us everyone that is martin wells that is an incredible incredible man he's written a book sitting in the stillness it's available from wherever books are sold if you want more information head over to nondualmindfulness.com for more information you are a remarkable man a life-changing man and i hope a lot of people read this book and find the freedom in their lives to live the life they should thank you so much martin you're welcome gareth thank you